Today, I'm excited to talk about Matthew chapter 13. It is a bunch of parables, and I think one that is favorite of mine is the parable of the sower. It's simple. I love the idea of seeds. Just, I think we get used to things, and seeds are they're just miraculous that you can put this tiny thing in the ground, and then what it can become, drawing upon you know, the water, the nutrients in the soil, the sunlight, turning all those things into this amazing plant or tree, huge, that gives shade. I mean, it's seeds are kind of amazing, and we get used to it. I love that Jesus would use this as an example. And years ago, I did for Deseret Book a talk, I think I called it Weed Your Brain, Grow Your Testimony, if you have the Deseret Book shelf app. It's so old, I think all of them are free on there now if you have the app, but kind of took the parable of the sower and expanded it. And this is an idea I expressed on the Follow Him podcast, but I can back it up in the footnotes that really the parable of the sower is part one of a four-part story. First, there's the sower, and the sower is, uh, let me restate that, first there's the soil, because really The parable is not so much about the seeds. It's not so much about the sower. It's about the soil. Is your ground prepared to receive the truth? There's the soil. And then if we go to the Book of Mormon, we have a wonderful discourse about the seed and the season. Alma 32 and 33, Alma's mission to the Zormites. And then at the very end of Alma 32, it mentions if you don't take care of the seed, and let it grow roots, you'll never partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Whoa, tree of life, that's First Nephi chapter 8. So, in my opinion, and I can back it up with the footnotes, it's four parts. There's the soil, the seed, the season, and then the supper. <laughs> I need an S word <laughs> to begin the fourth one. Supper's the best I could think of. Supper snack, it, it's a fruit, but it's delicious. In the Come Follow Me manual, It says on page 50, for individuals and families, my heart must be prepared to receive the word of God. Why is it that sometimes our hearts are receptive to truth, while at other times we're tempted to resist it? I love the idea of receiving, and I think the way we use the word can be confusing because it doesn't sound fair at first. Let's read the parable of the sower. It's very short. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. That's the last half of Matthew 13, 3. Verse 4, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And I always say, oh, it's too bad, by the way's in there, but it's a negative reference. Verse 5, Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And as you know, the disciples came and said, Why are you speaking in parables? And he answered them, Because it is given unto you to know the, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And then verse 12, this is the part that is a kid As a teenager, it didn't sound so fair to me. Whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. What? How's that fair? 
So the JST entry on footnote 12a uses the word receive in a way that helps us understand this parable. Whosoever receiveth to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever continueth not to receive, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. When it talks about receiving seeds, as the apostles came and asked Jesus why he's speaking in parables, he first he quoted kind of the calling of Isaiah, verse 15, this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time, see that's, that's receiving, that's refusing to receive, they close their eyes, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So then verse 18, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, see that didn't sound fair to me either. But when I think about what it means to receive seed, like a wedding reception or a receiving line, you're not letting it in. Then cometh away, the cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Verse 20, he that received the seed into stony places. Verse 22, he that received seed among the thorns. Verse 23, but he that received seed into good ground. So we want to be good receivers have a place in our heart to receive the seed. That's where kind of the language of Alma comes in. If you will give place that the word may be planted in your heart. Anyway, so I want to read to you a little bit from, I wrote a book years ago called Of Pigs, Pearls, and Prodigals. And I had my own comments on the parable of the sower. This was in 2010. I wrote this, 2010. Why was the sower so careless in his technique? Why didn't he sow in carefully plowed rows? Actually, they had different methods of sowing back then. Seed was scattered by throwing, much like the motion of a discus thrower, and afterwards, a servant or family member followed behind with a plow to bury the seed. Because the seed was cast broadly, it fell upon many kinds of soil. It's interesting that the origin of the word broadcast comes from seed sowing. (laughs) It's not from television or radio. And I love that idea of cast the seed broadly, you just never know where it will land. Elder James E. Talmadge and others have referred to this parable as the four kinds of soil. Since the sower and the seed are not really the main issue, but the ground upon which the seed is cast. Now, falling upon the by the wayside, here's, here was my comment there. Footpaths were used by travelers and farmers, and the practice of the ancient farmers was to give them over to public use. If a farmer had one of these paths running through his land, he would plow to its edge and let the path remain. Seeds falling on this hardened ground would be discovered and eaten by the birds. Jesus and his disciples used these footpaths as they traveled. And then we have Jesus' interpretation. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And it says that they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. That sounds a little odd. But this land is characterized by limestone. It, it, it could be that the shelf of hidden limestone underneath existed underneath an inch or two of soil and it held the moisture after the rain because the water had no place to drain. And so with that much moisture, moisture, a seed would spring up quickly, but then the sun would come up, the water in the shallow soil would evaporate, the soil would heat up, scorching the plant, and with no chance to grow a deep root, the plant would wither in the heat. Some fell among thorns. 
And I have a little book called Manners and Customs of Bible Lands, and author Fred White, W-I-G-H-T, said there that the native farmer uses thorn bushes in the summer for the outdoor fires for cooking the meals, so he's not so careful to get rid of them in the near vicinity, and so maybe some of those will choke the the seeds that the sower is planting. And then, of course, other fell into good ground. I wanted to spend the rest of the time I have to talk about a personal experience, if you don't mind. And I shared this in that audio program that I mentioned, the Weed Your Brain, Grow Your Testimony. When I graduated from BYU and found I didn't have a wife and I thought, you know, I'm going to stop paying rent and go buy a house so I can build some equity. So I bought a house in West Provo, had a big backyard and a garden area. And this meant I had to go buy, you know, shovels and rakes and a lawnmower and a weed whacker and everything so I could take care of this. The weeds, the house had been for sale for a while, were, I don't know, four feet tall. And uh, I thought, this is going to take me a few hours. Well, it took me a couple of weeks to clear that. And I learned so many lessons from this. For example, I, I finally cleared it all. I cleared that dirt, but was I done? If I just did nothing, the weeds would come right back. And if you go to plant anything and you go to the, the garden center, the garden store, wherever you like to go, if they're smart and you ask them, you tell them, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to grow tomatoes. I'd like to grow cucumbers. The first question they'll ask you if they're smart is, what kind of soil do you have? You got to prepare the soil first. And so you want to maybe till it. If it's hard, you have to break it up. If it's clay, like we have in Utah, there's additives that you can put to prepare it for planting. And that seems to be what Jesus is talking about, is are you prepared for what I'm about to sow and what the 12 are about to sow? Well, anyway, I cleared that land. And I started learning some, to me, really interesting lessons. First of all, lesson number one, I learned from my own garden, which sounds so obvious, so don't laugh at me, but if you want good things in your garden or in your life, you have to put them there. We're living in a fallen world. I had a fallen garden. And once the ground was cleared, if I just left it alone, only bad things would come. I, maybe since the fall, that's the way it works. I don't know why tomatoes didn't, seeds just didn't float in there, or cucumbers, or green beans. Why didn't those seeds just float in there and plant themselves? They don't. The weeds do. They are omnipresent, aren't they? The weeds will come out of thin air, uninvited. In fact, you could do a magic trick with your kids, clear some dirt and tell them, watch, dandelions are going to plant themselves there. And the chances are they will. That Those <laughs> seeds are omnipresent. They will find it. So lesson one, I learned, if you want good things in your garden or in your life, you have to put them there. Lesson two, bad stuff will come uninvited, out of thin air. And the whole idea of growing a testimony, gaining gaining a testimony is what we often say. That's okay, but that's scripturally, it sounds a lot more like a testimony is something we grow, particularly as we look at Alma 32 and 33. So, weeds will come out of nowhere. And then third, a testimony is something that has to be maintained. All you have to do to lose your testimony is nothing. It's going to be a constant war on weeds. They will keep coming and you have to pull them out. They fight for the nutrients and the sun and the soil. And so, you weed things 
so that the good stuff has nutrition there, has a place to grow and to, to grow roots. And boy, those roots are important, of course, so that when the sun comes up, when the wind, weather, whatever, it is rooted and it can, it can take all of that. So going back to the, to the soil, I think it's fascinating that in the story in the Book of Mormon, when the Zoramites came up and said, what about us? That they were already good soil. They had been humbled by their circumstances and everything. And so when they came up to Alma and said, we can't worship in our synagogues, they were already good soil. I'm going to read from President Henry B. Eyring. This is in his book, To Draw Closer to God, on page 186. President Eyring said, Just as soil needs preparation for a seed, this was what we've been talking about, so does a human heart for the word of God to take root. Before he told the people to plant the seed, Alma told them that their hearts were prepared. They had been persecuted and cast out of their churches. Alma, with his love and the circumstances of their lives, which had led them to be humble, had prepared them. They were then ready to hear the word of God. If they chose to plant it in their hearts, the growth in their souls would surely follow, and that would increase their faith. And this gives me a chance to mention something that I think is often we say in error. If we look at Alma 32 and 33, the seed the Zoramites are being asked to plant is not faith. And I know there's a poem or a song about the seed of faith, and maybe that works as another metaphor, but it's not what Jesus was talking about, and it's not what Alma was talking about. It's very clear in the Book of Mormon, if, when you get to Alma 33, that he's asking them to plant the word in their hearts. He says, Be begin to believe in the Son of God, that he will atone, resurrect, and judge, and plant this word in your hearts. What was the word? The Son of God will atone, redeem, resurrect, and judge. Plant that word in your hearts and nourish it by your faith. So the seed isn't faith. The seed is basically Christ and his mission. Now that makes so much more sense when you remember what the Zoramites were saying atop the Ramiumptum. They were saying, that, among other things, Thou hast made it known unto us that there will be no Christ. So what did Alma want to plant? What was the word he wanted them to hear? That there is a Christ and that he will atone, redeem, resurrect, and judge. Plant that in your hearts. Give place that that may be planted in your hearts and it will become a tree of life in you which is a, a pretty cool metaphor. So I, I love these, these metaphors that we can do with our kids. We can go buy at the garden store those little discs of soil that they make, and we can plant seeds and grow them by our window where there's sun, if, if you're in a winter place like I am, winter season like I am. And we can teach our kids about soil and watch what happens and look at this miracle that happens as these seeds spring and grow and reach to the light and reach to the sky. And that's what we're supposed to do too, is, is reach for the light and reach for the sky. Let me say that again, reach for the sky, reach for the light of Christ as we grow our testimonies. In closing, there's a verse in Proverbs that I think is just fascinating in light of these agricultural metaphors. And that verse is Proverbs 24, Verses 30, 31, and 32. I'll read it slowly. I went by the field of the slothful 
and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. Little parallelism there. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Isn't that nice? I, I just Jesus had to have known this as he was giving this parable. This he had to have known this this proverb. So we receive instructions about vineyards right here. You can look at a vineyard, verse 32 says, and receive instruction. You can see what a slothful person does with their vineyard, and then by implication, looking at the parable of the sower, you can see what a slothful person does in their heart. One more thing that I just think would be fun to mention here and instructive to mention here is what the weeds are. The weeds are, as Jesus gives the interpretation in Matthew 13, 22, the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And in the book of Mark, when it gives its, uh, its parallel version of the parable of the sower, it mentions the lusts of other things. A couple of footnotes that were very instructive. Matthew 13, 21, footnote B, Doctrine and Covenants, section 40. 22a gives Doctrine and Covenants 39.9, and section 39 and 40 are very short sections in the Doctrine and Covenants about a character named James Coville. And I will read to you the entire section 40. It's only three verses. So here's section 40, verses 1, 2, and 3. Behold, I say unto you, the heart of my servant James Coville was right before me, he covenanted with me that he would obey my word, and he received the word with gladness. But straightway Satan tempted him, and the fear of persecution and the cares of the world caused him to reject the word. Wherefore he broke my covenant, and it remaineth with me to do with him as seemeth me good. Amen. And that's the whole section. But notice how it starts. The heart, his heart was right at first. He covenanted with me. But Satan tempted him, and then the weeds. Fear, persecution, cares of the world caused him to reject the word. So this whole parable, parable of the sower, is about our hearts and how we receive the word. And uh, in the Book of Mormon phrase, to give place that the word, that Christ, his mission, can be planted in our hearts. And if it is, and we take time to let it grow roots and nourish it with faith, diligence, and patience then we can have a tree of life in us, a constant source of joy that comes with Christ and his gospel. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you today. It makes me want to go out and plant something. And we'll talk to you next time. 